Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. In this episode, Business Class continues its exploration of the growing entrepreneurial ecosystem of Singapore. To dig into the experience of creating a startup in Singapore, we spoke with Chris Schrieder. My name is Chris Schrieder, and uh, I'm the founder and CEO of No. In this case, No is spelled K-N-O-W. The No slogan, connect the top floor with the shop floor. We asked Chris to describe the No app. You know, if you take technology in the world, it's basically only focused on the 20% of workers in the world, which are the sort of white-collar workers. So 80% of the world has no technology at work. And uh, these people are basically workers in construction, workers in logistics, workers in a retail store, and people like that. But they all now have an Android phone in their hands. And we're building the mobile platform that helps companies connect with these workers, to manage them, to make them more productive and effective. So we help companies train them on the platform. We help them distribute tasks to all these workers and make sure it's all completed in time. We do time tracking and attendance on it uh, and lots of other similar features, which then makes this 2 billion people in the world who have no technology now have technology. And we think that if we can impact this, we can absolutely transform you know, the whole world. In our conversation, we went back to the beginning and wanted to know the most important step in the startup process. Specifically, is the idea the thing? So, obviously, like, uh, having a good idea is better than having a bad idea. Uh, So there are definitely things which are more useful than others. But I think uh, usually most people overestimate the impact of the idea itself, Um, most of the hard work or most of the things that determine success of a, especially a startup is execution. Um, the reason for it is because at some point very, very soon, like for us, for us, for example, we've been around for about 18 months. We have about 40,000 workers on the platform already. And so people know about us, right? So the idea is not like some you know, trade secret. So if somebody else out executes us, uh, then we're going to lose. It's the same thing with Facebook. Facebook was, what, the third or fourth or fifth social network, right? Google was the definitely the fifth or sixth search engine, uh, but they executed best, and that's why they're the two you know, companies which are dominating the world right now. Who are the entrepreneurs? Is there a type? Are there categories? Chris responded. I categorize entrepreneurs into sort of three types of entrepreneurs. Uh, there's one entrepreneur who just wants to run a business, Right. And so for them, the idea may be less paramount. They may just say, this is going to build a better business. I'm going to make more money. Uh, All of those things which drive for them, the idea may not be that important. There's another kind of entrepreneur who, let's say, maybe the Steve Jobs of the world, for whom the product is really, really important and what they're building is really, really important. And so for them, yes, ideas and the way the product comes together may be more important than maybe the immediate business. And the way these people think about it is if I build a really good product and then execute it well, then, you know, I will win. But for them, product is paramount. Uh, And then there's probably a third kind of, you know, entrepreneur who just wants to build big things. Like there's a person, you know, I know friends who want to run a 100,000 person company kind of thing, right? 
Uh, and so for them, you know, a lot of these things are about, is this idea going to scale? Is this idea going to be something where I can make a lot of money? Um, but, it's, but they don't necessarily, uh, aren't driven by the product idea or the immediate dollars and cents. For them, it's a, maybe it's a question of power or whatever it may be, right? So they want, or they want to impact the lives of so many people who they employ. So I think it's a very personal decision on whether, you know, are you, how driven are you by the idea or the product versus the actual business of it. Then we moved into the what, why, and how of Singapore. Why choose that country? Why choose that market? Why not Silicon Valley? I was in Singapore before with my work, but I think I chose to stay there because I think that uh, Asia is just booming. Um, and particularly for the sector that we're focusing, which is a bunch of you know, blue-collar workers, to put it you know, broadly, although we serve more than that, um, Asia, again, is a space where you have, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of workers like that. And again, Asia is a very mobile first market. Uh, you know, the m- majority of the blue collar workers in India have never seen a computer or certainly never used a computer. Right. So it fits beautifully into what we wanted to do. Uh, and uh, so we chose from a segment perspective or a market perspective, we wanted to remain in, in Singapore or in Asia. And then. Singapore just being the center of a lot of activity in certainly in Southeast Asia just meant that it was a nice ecosystems. You know, there's venture capital there. There's, uh, you know, Singapore itself is a small market, but using Singapore as the base, you can target a lot of the Southeast Asia markets, even India for that matter. So that was, again, a huge opportunity, which we didn't want to miss. And then finally, you know, Silicon Valley is phenomenal. There's nothing quite like Silicon Valley in the world, but at the same time, we also felt that being in Singapore would give us the advantage, being sort of from the region, of being, shall we say, you know, a big fish in a small pond rather than you know just being you know lost in the you know mass that is Silicon Valley. We asked about the strategy the Singapore government is taking to support entrepreneurs. So I moved there about 2013. And um, at that time, the Singapore startup scene and the business scene was just starting to take off. Of course, Singapore, if you leave, so I'm focusing all of this from the lens of a, uh, entrepreneurship or technology startup kind of thing. And Singapore obviously was already a per, you know, amazingly developed country, very strong GDP, probably the third richest country per capita income wise globally um, after I think Qatar and Luxembourg or something like that, or, you know, Monaco. Um, and uh, so country was already doing fantastic. Uh, but I think Singapore was also looking for where's the next sort of, you know, wave of growth. Um, and um, so and they started investing a lot in technology and entrepreneurship around 2013, 2014. So that so the government still does a lot of support for startups and so on in Singapore. Um, especially now focusing a lot on fintech because Singapore obviously was always a, a center for financial services and so they wanted to double down on that so you know blockchain startups or remittance companies or a whole bunch of other you know uh, fintech startups are, are pretty big in Singapore um, but also because the government stoked a bunch of venture capital and things like that by seeding a lot of these things what has happened is since 2013 in the last five years you now have a lot of startup activity, a lot of venture capital money in Singapore. Singapore being wealthy also means there's a lot of private money which flows into startups. It could be wealthy family offices, wealthy individuals, so on. And Singapore, for because of its clean governance, also means a lot of the money from the you know neighboring countries and regions 
you know, moves into Singapore because it's clean and it's, it's not corrupt and all of that, uh, which means that that money also then flows into the uh, startup scene in Singapore. And so it's been amazing five years. I think right now, you know, if you take the comparison of being in gears, you know, vehicle gears, I think 2013 would have been first, second gear. I think right now we're full on like fourth gear, maybe not quite fifth gear, but certainly in like fourth gear. And, you know, startups are exploding in Singapore. And I think the maturity of the startups are also becoming better. Does the Singapore market support a large number of startups? The Singapore government does it quite smartly. So it isn't like um, the government is funding you directly in some sense. They do that for very, very small sums of money, where it's like a grant that they just give you. Um, They also do it for nice chunky sums of money, but that goes through a more rigorous process. And there's a lot of backlash also in Singapore as to how long some of these things take. So sometimes, let's say, if you want to get half a million dollars from the government, then the paperwork for that. Paperwork might be small, but just the process, it takes time. It may take six months, things like that, which obviously a startup doesn't have the time for. But those are rare cases. But the government is very smart in the sense that what they've done is uh, they grant the money through different channels, almost like outsourcing the process and the due diligence and all of that. So, for example, some venture capital companies in Singapore have uh, um, blessed by the government in some sense. So if they pony up their own money, then the government will match it. And they have programs like that, um, which allows then the venture capital, it gives more leverage to the VC firm, but at the same time, doesn't it goes in the timelines of the VC itself rather than necessarily waiting for, you know, maybe, but by the way, Singapore government processes are like insanely fast. So, uh, you know, but so that's, it's not usually a worry for most people. And usually when people complain about some of these things in Singapore, it's usually because they haven't seen how long it takes in other parts of the world. But I think, so the country is very small, right? So Singapore is about five and a half million people. So as a market itself, it's really small, uh, unlike the US, which has 350 million people. Uh, so any startup in Singapore will have to not, you know, will have to go out, right? It either has to serve Indonesia, India, China, or the globe, right? Um, which obviously makes it much more tricky than startups in the US. And this is one of the reasons why European startups have also found it more challenging, because even though countries in Europe are bigger, it's not huge so to sustain you know, where a startup can just be in the UK, right? And even though you have one Eurozone and all of things like that, uh, because there are different languages, you know, it becomes more challenging. It's a little bit like India that way, because if you're a UK startup and you have to serve France, guess what? It's a different language, right? When you serve Germany, different language and so on. So the same challenge exists for Singapore as well, but even more because it's such a small country. The other challenge is just uh, availability of talent. Now, talent is a challenge everywhere. I mean, if you go to Silicon Valley, people complain about exactly the same thing, saying it's very hard to find engineers. It's very hard to find, you know, good talent for your startup. And it's getting very expensive in Silicon Valley. Uh, So therefore, talent is expensive in Singapore as well. And the availability of talent is also obviously less because it's a smaller country. Um, And immigration policies and all of that are always a hot topic in Singapore. Uh, just because, again, it's a small country. So how many people are you going to let in without, you know, uh, maybe backlash or things like that from local, um, the, the local population? And as a result of all of these things, I think it may be hard for Singapore to just like boom and just become a massive startup ecosystem because at the end of the day, you know, everything is made up of people and a market, right? Um, but I think this is why Singapore is trying to invest in areas where you can scale without necessarily 
having to have a lot of people. So for example, some of the fintech startups, because you have clean regulation, you have a lot of good policies in Singapore, you could be headquartered there, but then serve the globe. Finally, we went back to his product, the No app, and asked Krish to give us a deeper look at his company. So let's take a very simple example. So you're, you work in a, um, let's say, you're a supervisor in a construction site, okay? Now, you basically walk into the site today and you essentially either tap some card to show that you've entered the site or sign in a ledger, right? Uh, but that's about it, really. And if you sign in the ledger, there's absolutely really no way of you know, tracking you, uh, you know, from your attendance and you know, paying you for overtime and a lot of these kind of things. It's a little tedious. You have to then file some other paperwork. In our world, the person would come into the site and press a button on our app and it'll capture GPS and mark the fact that the person's actually present. Uh, if you wander around in the site, then we also have the ability where you can actually, you know, prove that you've actually been in all these places, checking things, again, recording all of these things on the app. Uh, you look at your phone and you basically, your supervisor or let's say the head office could have pushed five tasks that you have to complete that day. And as you go through completing these tasks on your phone, you can now capture photos, record remarks and things like that on the app as well, tied to that task as opposed to these things floating on WhatsApp groups or again on a piece of paper where you're doing all of this, which again makes it very, very hard to know progress live if you're sitting in HQ. Whereas here live in HQ, they can look at our dashboard and know that this person's completed all of these tasks. Ah, and here's the proof of images that the person's captured and all of this instantaneously, right? And at the end of the month, if I want to generate a report on all the things that happened at the site, then I just press one button and it generates beautiful reports. So that's the sort of classic use case. Krish gave us his final pitch. Anywhere where the worker is not at the desk and running around all day and completely disconnected from the company today, we can arm them using our app. Business class. Expert insight into the world of business. The host is Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite. <laughs>